Hey, Jer, how you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, we're, we're coming up on Halloween here pretty doggone fast. Yeah, next week. Next week. <laughs> That's the one holiday I can never seem to prepare for. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just, it's, you know, with Christmas and everything like that, with Thanksgiving, I, I've got all these fun things that I can plan, you know, cooking a, a Thanksgiving meal, buying Christmas gifts and like that, but... Halloween, it's always, there's there's always plans for the kids, you know, what they want to dress up, what they want to do. Um, but I, I just can never seem to get in gear to figure out for myself. Are, are there anything that your, your family does that, uh, you know, as far as Halloween, that's kind of a tradition for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have, uh, Halloween's been a big tradition in our house for a while. Um, we, what we've done for many years is we've hosted sort of a dinner party every Halloween night mm -hmm. where uh, what we what we did was we would have each of the kids could invite uh, one or two friends and their friends parents and family you know like the whole the whole gang or whatever whoever wanted to come could come and then we'd all go trick-or-treating together and then we would all hang out in the house when the kids were very little this was a super fun way to do it because all the parents had to go trick-or-treating with the kids because they were really little and you had to follow yeah, them around yeah. and that sort of thing. And then as the kids have gotten older, it's it's morphed a little bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, for the last, I want to say, two or three years, uh, one of my teenagers goes off and does her own thing for trick-or-treating and then comes back and joins us near the end of our get-together. And then my other teenager, he actually hosts his own little, like, simultaneous teen party sub party <laughs> in his room with a bunch of his buddies while the the bigger dinner party with the uh, parents and, and siblings and adults uh, are going on in the main room and you only see them to, to come out and get food and <laughs> that's exactly right they emerge for the pizza and then they and then they return to the lair of the teenage boy i sometimes miss being a teenager <laughs> And very important to our uh, Halloween tradition for, for the nearly decade we have lived here in Southwest Florida, um, a, a crucial component of our Halloween evening has been the participation of uh, the Duff family, hey. um, Jeremy and his crew. So, uh, yeah, so it's something that we do together. I, I will tell you that I love that in, in lieu of candy, you guys give out... Um, Bouncy, uh, the super balls. Super bouncy balls. Yeah, super bouncy balls. The only problem with that is that both of our families have dogs, and <laughs> we right, have to right. we have to be very careful very that they careful. Be, that the dogs and the the bouncy balls don't intermingle because yes. that that can get yes they'll yeah. they'll snarf it right up and that can be very bad problems. Mm, yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. What we like about it, uh, we started doing that. I want to say like fifteen years ago, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so for the entire time that we've done that. I like it for two reasons. Number one, it's uh, it's it's inexpensive. <laughs> I I am cheap and uh, don't don't want to spend a, a crazy amount of money on candy. So I can buy like uh, I buy like five hundred uh, bouncy balls bulk yeah. from Amazon, and it, you know it costs fifteen bucks. Uh, but the other reason that I like it too is uh, this thing called the teal pumpkin movement, because there have been such a rise in awareness of allergy problems oh, among yeah. kids 
at Halloween time, there is this phenomenon where kids who have allergies, when they go trick-or-treating, they will look for a teal pumpkin uh, that you put out. And so we have one. We have this like plastic teal pumpkin sculpture that we put out next to our house uh, with whoever's manning the trick-or-treating station to indicate that what we are giving out is allergy-friendly, that there is, mm. there's no concern over you know, nuts or gluten or any of that. It's just you get to you get to choose a fun uh, colored bouncy ball. And uh, and people have over the years commented their appreciation of that. You know, I'm not sure you are aware of this, but this is a fun little aside about super bouncy balls. Do you know that they actually have um, figured out that they can use super bouncy balls as a, uh, a rocket propellant? So they grind it up. <laughs> no, that, Who's they? <laughs> scientists. NASA? Scientists. Actually, uh, the, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, yeah? Yeah. So this is something you the might want to think about. JPL Super Bouncy Ball Project. Okay. So so don't let the kids have too many Super Bouncy Balls. But if you grind them up really fine, they actually make an amazing jet uh, or rocket propellant. So just... just like to burn? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh. So you See, I nice thought them. you were. I thought no, no. You were getting at some sort of like they bounce it in a chamber, and the bouncing creates this kinetic energy that that they, shoots so something off into they, they, orbit. And you, when you said be careful with the kids, you were like, don't let them bounce it too hard, or they'll go off into orbit. <laughs> well, SpaceX now has been attaching a, a giant cylinder of bouncy balls to the bottom of their rockets. Dropping it from the top of the building and watching it. That's right. That's that was kind of the picture I had in my head, which is why I was giving you a very quizzical look when you were talking about bouncy balls as a. As a I can just see Elon Musk sitting up on top of the building, holding his rocket, being like, "All right, three, two, one." I get to drop the ball. I get to drop the ball. Oh man! For today, because. Coming up so close on Halloween, we decided that this week we would do something a little bit more monstery. Today we are discussing Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves. So Jerry, why don't you cue us in with the music? Dungeons and Dragons. It's uh that is definitely a cultural phenomenon, isn't it? A subcultural Sub- phenomenon. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. Believe really? it or not. Yeah. It's crazy oh. because I am like the poster boy candidate for having played. Oh, for you know, cuz being being nerdy, being uh not Socially popular, awkward. Um, what are you saying, Jerry? I'm digging. I just realized I'm digging myself a big hole here with all our Dungeons and Dragons playing listeners. So I'm going to stop talking right now. But so, uh, but no, I have I've had fr- uh, for I, that was articulate in high school. I was a little too socially isolated. Otherwise, I probably would have played. In college, I had friends who played, but I never got in on the game. I never took the time to... Mm. So I would. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about it by observing it 
and by <laughs> listening to those who were playing it share with me some of their knowledge and then over the years since college I've actually I've actually borrowed from the library some of the the manuals and I've actually read read up on it a little bit and very recently within the last couple of years as uh, as she's become a high school student um, my eldest daughter who is now a junior in high school she actually has uh, not only gotten into the manuals and the lore and everything else but she's developed her own characters rolled characters and now she actually is playing D&D with a friend group of hers although her game is virtual they yeah. play over they play yeah. online yeah. you know with with discord chat and voice chat and and those sort of things so they don't actually so as not to have to figure out the logistics of getting everyone in the same space at the same time they just pick a night and a time and they go online and they and they uh, continue their campaign yeah, that's that is definitely parenting done right, right there. When you can transfer your nerdiness <laughs> onto your children, and in the same vein, actually, and they succeed where yeah. you failed, which is <laughs> which is very fun. Well, I on the other hand have been playing uh, tabletop role playing games for twenty five years now, maybe maybe a bit longer actually. <clears throat> to, to... But wait a minute, a couple of weeks ago you turned twenty seven. You've been oh, playing tabletop right. games since you were two years old. That's impressive, yes, my friend. Yes. Impressive. E ever since I could put a 20-sided dice in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but <laughs> my kids, actually, all three of my kids play Dungeons & Dragons in various forms. Uh, my oldest, he is a, uh, a sophomore in high school. He does the same thing. He has a, a Discord game going. We've done like phone conference type things. Uh, with my nephew, and we've we've played Dungeons and Dragons that way. So my my depth of Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of thing actually came. It was born out of that social awkwardness that you you had issues with in high school. That I insulted lots of people. With. Go ahead. <laughs> but I I had found a a really really good group of friends in high school, and the the crazy thing is I actually had to kind of keep my D and D secret from my parents because my parents were very, 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 very religious. So Dungeons, Dragons, Satan's game. You know, it, it was kind of... <clears throat> and given the generation we're from, yeah. that oh, yeah, was that a was... big deal oh, at that time. Like the, 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 the satanic the panic. Satanic panic uh, yes. and, and so Dungeons and Dragons was seen as this evil game that would suck you into, uh, I I into the bowels of El Diablo. And I'm throwing out some references to anybody that gets that. It was definitely a scary time it, between between the, the late 80s and up into the 90s and early 2000s where it was just not something that a good Christian boy would do. Even still, I, I enjoyed the, the time with my friends uh, as much as I enjoyed the game and it you know, of course, I was I was 16, 17, 18, 19, where I would, uh, I recognized that the game was not something that was going to draw me into a life of Satan worship or whatever. <laughs> but I have some incredibly fond memories of that time. And I'm glad my kids are able to get some of those fond memories, but they, they obviously won't do the, the, the gaming starting at five or six in the afternoon and then going till three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes 
sometimes even later. In fact, one of my very good friends, when uh, when we were having his quote-unquote bachelor party, what he wanted to do was we rented a hotel room. They went to Sarasota, to the Amish country, bought a bunch of pies, brought them back to the hotel room, and we played Dungeons and Dragons for, for literally like 15 hours straight, and that was his ideal bachelor party. That's amazing. <laughs> Amish pie and D&D. Oh my lord, it was, it was incredible. And uh, so I have a very, very deep, strong connection. Although to- hopefully that was not indicative of the traditional bachelor party purpose, which is... You know, if you do a traditional bachelor party of going and seeing naked ladies, the idea is you're never going to see other naked ladies again. So hopefully the idea was not that you were going to play <laughs> D&D because he would never play D&D again because his wife would not like that. Hopefully that was not the case. It was more no. about just enjoying his male friends yes. prior to getting married. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we, we did... Uh... We did continue to play Dungeons and Dragons after that. In fact, <laughs> in fact, his wife um, encouraged it. Oh, so, good. Yes, good, good. Uh, <clears throat> and, and and when we brought up uh, in our whole franchise list, you know, hey, look, D and D actually has its own uh, visual media. We're like, oh yeah, right, right. And then there's D&D Honor Among Thieves. And I confess it, I did not see it in theaters. Uh, I I don't really have a lot of time to go and watch movies in the theaters, uh, nor do I really have the money because when you have three kids, uh, you know, and then family, uh, extended family gets involved with it, it gets expensive, pretty mm. on. Oh, so, crazy. But, uh, so I, I took the time to watch this uh, and I watched it with... My two boys. I loved it. So many little Easter eggs in there. It was great. It was one of those things that I... If, if you have ever seen the original D&D movie, it seemed like they were kind of pandering to to the D&D gamer community. But this one, they rather than pandered, they embraced it. Um, yeah, because the original movie was... I don't know. It was disappointing. At the time, I think most people felt that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and I think it's, it's and I think it's relative uh, lack of success in the box office demonstrated yeah, that. Yeah, and I think that might have also been what what was kind of holding me back from watching, you know, Dungeons Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves. It it was uh, the the fear of being disappointed by something I have loved and that has been a big part of my life for the last twenty five years. So I didn't. I didn't make an effort to go see it because I was afraid of that disappointment. I am very happy to say that it did not disappoint me. What What were your thoughts on the the film, Jer? So I uh, I just did a quick IMDb search yes. while you were sharing, uh, and there was a 1980s animated TV series. I do know about that one. Yes. And then there was a movie titled Dungeons, simply Dungeons and Dragons. That was in the year 2000. That's the one, yep. And then, uh, yeah, yep. And then there were some, and then I think there are some others, but I think they were uh, TV movies or direct-to-video kind of movies. Uh, I think that 2000 was the last time it was in the theaters prior (laughs) to the 2023 Honor Among Thieves. 
my relationship with Honor Among Thieves is one in which I had seen enough trailers to to be excited, to to be hopeful that it was really good. I did, uh, you know, I'm sure I watched the 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, but have no memory of it. Uh, which is indicative <laughs> a, of its quality. A you blessing. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but having enough history with Dungeons and Dragons and my daughter's recent interest in it, when the new movie came out, I was super curious about it. So watched uh, enough trailers, and then we ended up. It was in the theaters at the same time that my family took a trip. Took mm-hmm. a, a family trip out of town. I honestly, to be honest, I don't remember what the trip was, but I do remember that as we were traveling back from the trip, we arrived back in town like around midday. Mm-hmm. And it was as the last day of the trip, we were still in kind of vacation mode and we didn't mm. have to go anywhere and we we still had the funds left from the trip funds that we were able to uh, we were like, well, we have this afternoon to do whatever we want. Uh, why don't we see what's in the movie theater? You know, okay. and and having four kids, as I do, it can often be challenging to find a movie that all six of us will want to go see in the theater. Because on the one hand, I've got a I've got a ten year old girl who's all into like you know little kid little girl stuff, and then I've got an eighteen year old boy who is not at all interested in any little girl's type stuff. <laughs> and and so finding something that all of us would like is challenging. And so when I saw that, oh, right, Dungeons & Dragons is in the theater, I did a little research on like what the MPA rating was, and there's this wonderful website called kidsinmind.com. And if anybody, <clears throat> you can Google it, but if you want the direct URL, it's actually kids-in-mind.com. Dot com is is the actual URL where they do this wonderful thing where movies that are newly released they go through and they very factually list all instances of three categories that they then rate the movie on so it's not a movie review site but it's a movie it's a kid friendliness meter sort of situation where they they rank i think it's sex and sexuality violence and profanity. Those are the three categories they use. And what they do is they don't spoil the movie, but what they do do is they just make a factual list of every instance of this. So it'll be like, male character has his shirt unbuttoned and female uh, rubs her, her hand on his chest. You know, uh, <laughs> and then they'll be like, and then at the end for the, for the profanity category, it'll be like... Um, 38 scatological references and and, uh, and 13 oh uses God. of profanity starting with the F, you know, that kind of thing. And then what they do is they just numerically label a movie according to those three categories. So, mm. like, a movie that is just the most insanely violent, super, uh, you know, like, porny, every other word is a curse word would be like 999. Right, uh, so a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, whereas other movies, then they do that. So I did that. So I went to kidsinmind.com to check out Dungeons and Dragons because we have, I will confess, brought my ten-year-old to like there were one or two Marvel movies that we thought would be good that actually kind of freaked her out a little bit. I don't remember the specifics, but there was there was one that was just a little too intense 
for her, you know? Mm, and, okay. and, and so checking ahead of time, I've always found useful so that, uh, so that I don't have to miss some movie because a kid gets upset and I have to take them out of right. the theater. So it did, did my due diligence with Dungeons and Dragons. It looked perfectly fine. And I was so gratified that all six of us love this movie. Yeah. Uh, which which speaks well to it, I think, uh, you know, very much so. And so uh, so we watched it that afternoon in the movie theater, just over the moon for it, loved it. And then when it came out on uh, Paramount Plus, which we have a subscription to because, you know, that's where Star Trek lives, so I must subscribe. <laughs> Since then, you know, and it's only been it's only been out for a number of months. It's not like mm. years or anything. Since then, I think I have seen the movie four times like it's just it's one of those like when like last week when we were talking about back to the future it's just one of those fun movies it's just so fun and feel good that you can just put it on and it just lifts your mood and you can enjoy the hell out of it well how about we get into a little bit of info facts on the movie excellent this is dungeons and dragons honor among thieves Directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Screenplayed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly and Michael Giglio. Based on Dungeons and Dragons by Hasbro, also Wizards of the Coast. Starring Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Ray... I don't even know how to say this. Uh, Reggie... Reggie... Oh. Jean Page? Reggie Jean Page. Jean Page. Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, Hugh Grant. The production companies are Paramount Pictures, Hasbro, and Entertainment One, distributed by Paramount Pictures. Release date, March 31st, 2023, in the United States. A running time of 134 minutes. A budget of $150 million. And according to Box Office Mojo, it made $208,177,026. Quick little synopsis from allmovies.com. This synopsis was written by uh, Farida Izzat. Based on the popular role-playing game, the film follows a band of thieves on the hunt for a valuable relic. Under the leadership of a talented thief named Edgen, the band goes on adventures to collect bounties across the land. When they target a lost artifact, the band messes with the wrong people and must play the game right to win it all. Ooh, another synopsis with a little reference in there. I like it. <laughs> Play the game. Clever, now, clever. As far as these these characters are concerned, because all the, the people in my house are all D&D nerds, including my wife, who plays Dungeons & Dragons with us. Awesome. We were trying to figure out, my sons and I, we're trying to figure out what actually player uh, class these ah, characters yes. were. <laughs> uh-huh. And... The easiest one to figure out, uh, Edgen, was he's a bard. Uh-huh. He's definitely a bard. Yep. Um, named so in the... What's kind that? of named so. Kind yeah. of named so. Yeah. Insofar yeah. as... Because uh, in a way, the bard was almost his alias, like his uh, his uh, undercover persona as a harper. Because he was, he was, you know, harper. Of course, yes. harper not being a class... Of right, the original right. game, you know, but, but yeah, obviously Bard, because his his signature piece of equipment is his loot. 
Yeah, which, which yeah. hilariously always reappears and returns to him and works perfectly <laughs> even after going through a subterranean lake, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. But Michelle Rodriguez's character, name escapes me right at this moment. Oh, her character's name? Yes. Holga. Holga, that's Holga. it. Yes, Holga. I love the We're... way Hugh Grant always says her, Holga. Holga. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what class she was. You know, is, is she a barbarian? Which uh, That her, was my her, presumption. I'm pretty sure that's, that so, was referenced. But... Because there's the whole clans thing. Yes, but at the same time, you know, visually she looks like she would be a barbarian, but at the same time, her unarmed combat and her melee skills, particularly with the, the martial skills that she has, I thought maybe she was dual-classed as uh, a, a uh, barbarian monk... Oh, interesting. Because the the monks have those unarmed skills, and and I, I we're we are having this discussion in the middle of the movie back and forth. <laughs> is she a barbarian or is she a monk? I don't know, man. But honestly, you love every second of her performance there. And then the the the, the wizard. Uh, <laughs> this is this is showing my nerddom here a little bit. But he says that he's not a very good sorcerer. Uh huh. But. Some of those spells that he were casting were incredibly high level spells because I, you and know, not just anybody can make the smell of fresh cut grass appear. Oh, right, you know. <laughs> but but the the spell of of uh, reversal of gravity there, that is an area of effect spell, and it can only affect a certain area. But when he affected the entire room, essentially, that is I think speaks to how high level he actually was. But he didn't believe it himself, which is a character flaw. Um, uh-huh. You know that 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 whole, you know, not believing in yourself, uh, imposter syndrome kind of thing going on there. So I I, I loved it that that was kind of uh, played about with in the movie, and all the Easter eggs. Like I said before, there were there were a lot of them. So they weren't they weren't pandering to the D and D crowd. They were. Uh, <laughs> they were really paying an homage to them. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember when the when the initial reviews came out for the movie. I don't I don't tend to read reviews until after I've seen it. Right. Just because I I inevitably if I listen to any kind of reviews prior to seeing something, then they color my experience of it. You know, I've mm-hmm. got those voices in the back of my head, especially any ones that are critical of things. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoy listening to lots of reviews after I watch a movie because then I can compare my opinions to the opinions of others and decide what I agree with, what I disagree right. with, or, or have them uh, you know, broadened or that sort of thing. And I must say, the, the, one of the things that was basically universally said in the reviews of this movie that I read was what a wonderful job the filmmakers did in... On the one hand, as you said, paying homage to and mining the depths of the source material from the game while simultaneously not making that a hindrance to those who did not know the game. In other words, they were they were all kinds of, as you described, Easter eggs without being 
distracting mm. or distressing mm, yeah, yeah. to the plot. And uh, it's funny, this is going to be the second podcast in a row where I bring up Ezra Miller's The Flash movie <laughs> for some reason. But, uh, you know, in this movie, I'm going to do it be- to compare and contrast, again, not in The Flash's uh, preference. I apologize for any big Ezra Miller Flash fans out there. But in this movie, the source material it just informs and riches mm. and is just a part of what's going on such that like I knew a few things like I knew that like the the cube of goo that they all dive into <laughs> I knew Gelatinous that was a cube, D&D yeah. thing yeah, yes. Gelatinous yeah. Goo. I knew that was a pre-existent D&D thing I knew about the treasure chests and the fact mm-hmm, that there could be mm-hmm. fake treasure chests with the teeth and the tongue that grabs yes, yes. that that was a classic uh, character from the move from the game D&D I knew about the, 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 that there are a basic number of classifications like um, bard, barbarian, paladin, wizard, etc. that come out of that, but they don't hit you over the head with it. It's not like, right, it's not right, like yeah. in the movie they're like, I am the bard and I am the barbarian or anything like that, even leading to your speculating about what the class is and that sort right, of thing. Yeah, it's, all, yeah. it's all sort of subterranean and, and and goes right over the head. I'm, I think of like really successful kids movies that engage adults, but the adult stuff goes right over the head of, of, <laughs> of the children. Yeah. Similarly with this, all the D&D nerdiness goes right over the head of somebody who doesn't know it, yeah. but is thoroughly yeah. appreciated and enjoyed by a D&D player. Unlike, I think, the, the movie that do, did that poorly was... Uh, DC's The Flash movie because The Flash movie last podcast when we talked about Back to the Future I talked about how one of how one of the bits in The Flash movie is in the multiverse alternate universe that, that The Flash lands in Eric Stoltz was Barney McFly right if you knew the back if you knew the behind the scenes documentary stuff that I knew about Back to the Future then that's hilarious if you don't you're just like Eric Stoltz, that's kind of random and weird. Likewise, that movie, The Flash, is chock full of all of these weird comic book and comic book movie references that are not endemic to the story that is being told, but is thrown in there as as like fan service, but a fan service that is more pandering and distracting, in my mm. opinion, than it is helpful. For instance... I think the mo- one of the most egregious or interesting examples was uh, spoiler alert for the Flash. If you you know fast forward thirty seconds, if you don't want any any part of it ruined, but in one part of it, the Flash uh, near the end, near the climax of the movie, there is I think what's called the conjunction of the universe, where all these universes begin to collapse. The multiverse begins to collapse in on itself, and these spheres, and it's represented by all these different spheres of different universes coming and beginning to to fall in on the flash and so the camera's perspective like zooms into these different spheres and you see all these different universes and in this movie they that one of the ways they they define these different universes in this moment in the film is through uh superman and so there's a superman you know so there's the superman of the snyder verse of the Zack snyder verse played by Oh, what's his name? Henry Cavill, mm-hmm. right? And then there's, and then you, and then you zoom out, and there's this moment where you see Christopher Reeves mm. 
and and the 1980s Supergirl played by an actress's name I can't remember, but they're standing next to each other, and that's kind of cool. And then there's another sphere where it's uh, you get to see a um, another Superman from I think maybe one of the TV shows, or maybe Brandon Routh from Superman Returns or whatever. And then they go to this other sphere, and it's this super buff, long-haired Superman doing battle with this giant spider monster and after he kills the spider monster he turns around and it's Nicolas Cage <laughs> and the reason they did that was because throughout the 90s Nicolas Cage badly wanted to be Superman in a movie and tried very hard to get a Superman movie made but it never came together so he never got to be Superman <laughs> If you knew that, if you were nerdy enough to know that bit of Hollywood trivia, then that Nicolas Cage moment is like, oh my gosh, that's so fun! But to the average moviegoer, it's like, what the hell is Nick Cage doing b being a like buffed out, long-haired Superman? What is that? I don't get it. What, what, what happened? And there's so many of those where if you don't know the comics and comic book movie history and lore and everything else... The Flash is just kind of a mess. And so, yeah. uh, so anyway, to wrap that up, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves uses the source material uh, to best effect, to enrich, to enliven, to inform, but not to overwhelm and not to distract, but rather just tells a wonderfully yeah. rollicking story. You really don't need to be a D&D nerd to, to enjoy this movie. Not at I, all. My 10-year-old knows nothing about D&D and loves this movie. You know, Jared, that's a perfect opportunity to get your 10-year-old involved <laughs> in Dungeons & Dragons. That's true. My and, wife, too. You know, I can actually see this this coming out to where we, we start as families playing Dungeons & Dragons together because I, I need a good, stable group. It's really, really hard. Uh, all of my that friends are. That sounds like are, an amazing know, summer yeah. project, Harrington Duff, <laughs> the D and D game. That's that's one of the things that I loved about D and D when I was younger is that it was a way for me to spend time with my friends, doing something that we loved and we had fun doing it, and more importantly, anything that we could do to tick off. The, the the DM, you know, the dungeon master. <laughs> Anything we could do to mess with his plans and see how we could twist it and warp this this very carefully thought out campaign. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, you've already so let's 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 stick with the movie. Okay. Because I suspect that you and I could have a lengthy conversation about the oh, game. Oh easily, yes. But let's stick with the movie. For those who watch the movie and want to hear us talk about that. What else in the movie is just like like tick tick off some of those Easter eggs for us. Those of us who don't know the game as well. You already so, mentioned the, the the classic classes of the characters. Yes, yes. What else? Um, there were there were references to uh, Mordenkainen, uh, uh -huh. with the arcane seal. It is protected by the arcane seal of Mordenkainen. The uh the 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 behavior of some of the creatures and some of the more hidden you know uh, less popular creatures the the um the intellect robbers what creatures will you meet when you go see the new movie dungeons and dragons honor among thieves oh that's not good will there be an owlbear 
What is that again? Or an intellect devourer. A giant brain that consumes other brains, like some kind of awful brain cannibal. The higher the intelligence of the prey, the more likely they are to strike. Oh, that's a little hurtful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, the little brains with feet. Yeah, the feet. little brains with feet. Uh, <laughs> I know that, I, I think I heard from a review that the owlbear... That, yes, the owl bear. That definitely. the tiefling character changes into is a very common and very yes, popular I... D and D creature. The mashup that somehow pairs all of the terror with none of the cute from owls and bears. Yeah, owl bears are one of those things that if you're if you're anything less than like you know third level, you <laughs> you, you try and you sneak on by, you know, or or you know hope that you don't get caught up in it. There's so much in there that you just, if if you didn't know the game so much, then you would just think was, hey, that's that's kind of cool. But yes, then, exactly. you, you know, you're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I know that, I know that. We're mimics, monsters that can pose as anything. The hither thither stick is not Yes, the, the... hither thither. <laughs> It, it reminds me of, of uh, there's there's a device called a, a, a portable hole. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which was incredibly useful in some of our campaigns. Well, but, you mentioned uh, the campaign, because yes. one of my favorite reviews of the movie referenced the fact that one of the less overt ways that the movie does pay homage and use its source material is the structure of the film is very much like yes. uh, the the game insofar as it is a series of quests. You first, you know, first there is the quest to get the helm of helm of disjunction. Then there's the the quest. Then then when that's not necessarily working, then they they move to the hither thither. You know, the whole the whole movie is a series right. of we're now going to go here and get this, and then we're going to go over here and get this, so that we can go over there and do this, yeah. so that we can then go over here and get that, so that we can, so that, you know, because ultimately the there's there's an objective to the whole thing, you know, the whole thing <laughs> is to get to the, 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 to retrieve Edgen's daughter, to defeat Forge and Sophina, and, uh, and get the, the tablet of awakening, uh, yeah, you know, reawakening. The, the reawakening. Uh, a lot of those those items, those magical items, are actually incredibly rare, and and some of them are even one off. The Tablet of Reawakening is a one off, but they they drew from so many different campaigns. When I say campaign, I, I don't mean that it's it's necessarily just a story of of the the Dungeon Master's creation. They were pre made campaigns that were uh, you you could go and buy if if you didn't really want to write your own. And certainly, you know, that there is nothing wrong with buying a pre-made campaign. Uh, in fact, so and many of these those, things were... For those of you who are not at all familiar with Dungeons & Dragons, the game, a campaign does not refer to politics, but refers <laughs> to, rather, the overall, the, the, the large arc of the story yeah. uh, from beginning to end that represents the gameplay of a particular Dungeons & Dragons game or session or sit down you know that sort of thing such that uh when you sit down there's the dungeon master mm -hmm. who's sort of in charge of the story and kind of knows where things are going and then all the players have characters that interact with each other and interact with the world that the dungeon master presents 
and you do that interaction through the rolling of dice, through the statistics of the character stats and the mm -hmm. monster stats and the maps and things like that, as well as the guidance of the dungeon master who guides the story, shapes the story. This is ridiculously simplified just to be, <laughs> just, to, just to fit in the two minutes that I'm giving. But when we refer to the campaign, then we refer to the overall, this is the whole thing. And within a campaign, then, there's generally a series of quests that must be fulfilled in order to get mm, to the next yeah. step to to eventually complete the campaign. And that's how the movie was structured, very similarly to the game, but not in a way that distracted from the fact that yeah. it was just a really yeah. fun movie and story. And it's, it's really easy to think of a campaign uh, as, as something kind of linear with the, the, you know, the book, but in reality, it's more like a choose your own adventure game. So, you know, the, what, what one character decides to do can influence the next 10 steps in the game. So, oh, you know, yeah, I know you were supposed to go to this city, but you decided to go to this town on the other side of the world. <laughs> oh, great. And so, to be an effect Straining the dungeon master's yes, imagination the, to pull it back toward the, the main story. The DM has to sit there and be like, oh, are you sure you don't want to go in that direction? <laughs> Fine. Flip to page 27. Welcome to the town of Honeywood. <laughs> well, and, so, and I love the fact that, that that is sort of referenced in a couple of places in the movie uh, overtly, or, or not overtly, but covertly when, uh, when like, um, the shapeshifter character is, like, turns to Edgin and is like, what's your job? And he's like, well, I'm the planner. I, I make plans. And she's like, and what happens when you're then doing it? Because then the planning, then it's all over. What is it exactly that you bring to this? Me, I'm a I'm a planner. Yeah. Make plans. You've already made the plans, so what value do you have now? If uh, the plan fails, the existing plan, I make a new plan. So you make plans that fail. No. He also plays the loot. Hogan, not relevant. And then later on in the in the movie, where he's like, uh, "All right, we're gonna so plan A didn't work. We're gonna go to plan B." Oh, that's great. That'll be plan C. Well, isn't that just the same as plan A? Yeah, but there's a stink on plan A. So now we're calling it plan C. <laughs> <laughs> and this is plan D. But isn't plan D the same as B? No, but there's a stink on plan B. So we're going to call it D now. <laughs> and just the fact that, you know, that whole, like, uh, the story can shift and, and go back and forth between things is so fun. I, You know, I think we could talk for hours about this. But we really kind of do have to move this along a little bit. All right, but we have to talk about one thing before we move okay, on. Okay, what's that? One thing, we have not said a word about Regé Jean Page. Regé Jean Page? Regé Jean Page, who played Zenk the, the Theon Paladin. Oh, yeah. We have to, I mean, that performance. Oh, you have yeah. to talk, we have to talk about that performance. How wonderfully amazing. <laughs> Just the way he plays... So <laughs> straight sincerity uh, with no irony. The Red Wizards created an army of the undead. Sounds lovely. Quite the opposite. I know I was being ironic. I find irony is a blade that cuts he who wields it most especially. You're not a lot of fun, are you? No idioms, no, you know, it's, uh, in that way, sort of reminiscent of uh, the Drax character in the Guardians, yes, the MCU yeah, Guardians movie. <laughs> Uh, but how wonderful uh, the interactions between Edgin and Zank, where he's like, you're not a lot of fun, are you? Or like, like I hate you. <laughs> you know, I heard my, that. My favorite, my favorite whole interaction with all of that 
is at the towards the very end. <laughs> the narration walking, of the walking. When he's walking away. <laughs> he's just walking straight. Okay, does Oh, he's coming up to a oh rock. Oh no, there's a rock. Is, is he going to go around it or is he going over? Oh, he went over and he's... Hopped right over it. <laughs> Walks in such a straight line. Uh-oh, wait a minute. He's coming up on a rock. Is he going to go around? Nope. Right over the rock. Yes. And and me and my boys, were, we're sitting there and we're laughing so hard about it. We're like, was that actually planned in the movie or did he just do it? Ad limit. I Ad bet limit. it was in the script. I, I gotta think. I could totally see him ad libbing. The director going, keep rolling, keep rolling. Keep going, keep going. This is going right here. Yeah, but the, the whole interaction. The whole thing. And the, the pulling the cat out of the fish yes. at the beginning is just so good. It's just so good. One of the things, you know, the thi- one of the things we have not talked about that was that is one of my favorites is the humor. Is the yeah. fact that it's so funny and that it doesn't take itself seriously and that it can make fun of itself. And the bits, you know, even the bits, I don't know if you I don't know if you watched the, did you watch all the credits? No. There's a post-credit scene. See, I asked Shall my I... kids if there were a post-credit scene because I had to go use a restroom and they're like, "No, there wasn't a scene." I'm like, they Maybe. either they either got impatient or they lied to you. Uh, do you want me to spoil it for you? It's yeah, about a, it's yeah. about twenty seconds is the post credit scene. After all the credits roll at the very end, it goes back to the dude in his coffin going. It was just <laughs> questions. <laughs> what? Hello? Can somebody ask me a question, please? And then that's it. So, and it was just so. Some of my favorite scenes in the movie, though, was the red dragon. Thunderjaw, the red dragon who looks like he ate all the other dragons as appetizers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> climbs out of his hole. The fat dragon. The fat <laughs> dragon slides down. <laughs> the fat dragon. <laughs> and then rolling like a dog. One of the so, uh, I I watched. Uh, there are. There, I don't remember where I saw this now. It's like a like a DVD special feature kind of little featurette uh, yeah. about it, and I don't remember where I saw it. But I was watching it, and the the producers of the movie talked about how um, how when they were designing that dragon in CGI, uh-huh. they took early renders of it to the director and producers to make certain that they were okay with it. Because they knew that it was gonna be, it's, it was it was either gonna really work or really not, and so they took early renders just to make sure they didn't waste too much time and effort because it was it was such a bold choice, and yeah. everyone was on board. The the uh, when when they're sliding down the, the the ramp right to the dragon's mouth, and the dragon's just sitting there like. I, I love that the dragon was actually cross-eyed looking at them like <laughs> real time. And then the the scene where they were trying to distract the guards. Once we're now I'll be friendless. Oh, let's celebrate lasses and lads. Where once we're contenders, now I'll be friends. Let's celebrate lasses, celebrate lasses, celebrate lasses, celebrate lasses. What's going on? Oh, my foot is stuck. Concentrate. Celebrate lasses.
braid, 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 I think they're starting to get suspicious. And, and oh, with so the illusory? Yes, with the illusion, and he's like, and it just sort of starts skipping. I'd like to think that was kind of a little bit of homage to Total Recall with that two weeks, two weeks in the jerkiness of it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it it was great. The, yeah. They I think they did a phenomenal job with that movie. Yeah, yeah. So, but oh man, the, the, but but Regis Jean Page, his the paladin character was just I I thought what was most smart about it was that he came into the movie and then went and then left. Yeah, and and they used him just the right amount so that his character was still fun and not annoying. Uh, you know, so that he could get away with saying things like. I believe I see a harper shaking off his slumber and being completely straight about it. And then, and then the other guy rolling his eyes about it. And it was still so fun. And then he leaves the movie. It's just perfect. Now, as, as someone who has played enough D&D, I can totally see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, if if you were to take this and then intersperse it with scenes of of people playing the game... I can totally see, and we all know that one guy that that <laughs> takes his role playing so seriously and gets upset at the other players that there's, you know, they're trying to role play so perfectly. I am this, you know, like lawful good, like ultra good paladin, and, and then check out how bad a I am when I call upon my holy sword to smite the darkness. <laughs> That it, I can totally see what's going on, and and the other players being like, "Yeah, that was really cool," but still, tone it down a notch, dude. <laughs> it's like, okay, here he goes again. They they he played it as if he were a player character, being played by someone who is trying to emulate what yeah. the perfect paladin is. Yeah. So he yeah. played a paladin, being played yeah. a paladin, playing a paladin. Yeah. The other, the the only other thing I wanted to say about the movie that we haven't talked about yet was also, in terms of storytelling, I think another echo of the game that that in no way detracts is the fact that practically all the characters, no, all the characters had a backstory. Yeah. You know the and 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 the main characters' backstories were very compelling as well, insofar as Edgin with his wife and losing his wife and. Betraying his Harper's oath and all of that, uh, the fact that Holga, with her love of the little tiny dude, and the, that that yeah. got her kicked out of the her clan, yeah. the halfling, the fact that uh, you know the the journey of the wizard to find his self confidence, the tiefling <clears throat> being betrayed by humans, but now working with humans in order to save the the land that was being destroyed by Forge. Interestingly, of the main characters of the of the band of thieves, Forge is really the only one who doesn't get any kind of backstory. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I realize oftentimes the bad guys in a you know the antagonists, 
the, the evil characters in right. the Dungeons and Dragons wouldn't. They just show up and be bad, and then then you would fight right, against them. Right. Whereas every player character in D and D, to my knowledge, anyway, my knowledge of the game is that players tend to come with their characters and they think about, they think through the backstory yeah, of the yeah. characters. Like the character that my daughter, my daughter spent like 10 to 15 minutes regaling me with tales of the backstory of her mm-hmm. character. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. she even sat down to play a game and to interact with the with the thing. And so I think that was a wonderful way in which the storytelling inherent in the game informed and improved and was great for the movie because the only reason that, you know, for my money, the only reason I care about characters <clears throat> is because of the, the the emotional connection I have to them, which has everything to do with backstory, which also which they also had great fun with through oh, the yeah. whole frame yeah. of the like telling the backstory to the the council of pardoning in the prison at the beginning in which they escape thanks to Jonathan, you know, <laughs> Jonathan, you know, there's that one counselor who her one line at the beginning and the end of the movie was Jonathan. Pardon denied. This session is adjourned. Jonathan. I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry. The, but the fact that they grab him and knock him out the window to fly away. <laughs> oh, we're gonna pardon you! <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got a pardon. So Edgin's character saying like, Jonathan's really missing a lot of our backstory. That's very important yes, to him yes. understanding. <laughs> you know, and, and all of that is just is just wonderful. Just wonderful. <laughs> We've got a little, uh, a couple of fun little things here. I know that you had uh, a couple of quizzes that you wanted to try out, and I've got a quiz for you. Okay. So, who's going to go first? Why don't you quiz me first? All right, all right. Now, a lot of this is going to be predicated on some some knowledge, not so much on D&D itself, but the, the lore around D&D here, so. All right, you're gonna start you off with a couple easy ones, Jared. Okay. What is a sentient creature not controlled by a player called? A sentient creature not controlled by a player? Yes, what are they called? The first thing that comes to mind is the video game name, which is non-player character. Yes, indeed, NPC. NPC, is that where that came from? Yes, non-player character, So the NPC of video games actually Oh, yeah. Spawned yeah. from Dungeons and Dragons. I yes. did not know that. That's awesome. Dungeons and Dragons was first created in 1974. Since then, there have been over 23,000 different tabletop role playing games. Name two more. Two more? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is, this is going to be embarrassing. I don't know tabletop role playing. Um, I know a lot of them are historical. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. going to guess that there's one called World War II. <laughs> uh, I think that's a little cheating there. But... Uh, I think there's another one called the Civil War. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Two of the more popular ones. Uh, Settlers of, of Catan. 
Wait, Catan is considered it's, it's a role-playing considered, game? It's considered a role-playing game, yes. Oh. Huh. So, another one. Because I played Catan, I would not have thought of. Pathfinder. Is oh, I've heard of Pathfinder. Pathfinder. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. Um, there is the whole White Wolf series, where you've got, uh, you know, like Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf, um, you know, Mage, uh, those those very, you know, they and it's, it's an entire world. This green potion is often consumed by players to give them edge and keep them alert. This fizzy neon substance has been banned in over a hundred countries. What is it? Mountain Dew. Yes, indeed! <laughs> <laughs> See, first I thought, well, the first half of that question, I thought you were going to ask me, like, the elixir of life and something from within the game, and then it no, finally, no, 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 no. <laughs> it finally clicked. By the end of the question, I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Dungeons & Dragons uses a scale to describe a character's nature or alignment. Name three alignments. Ooh, okay, so is this, like, chaotic? Yes. That one chaotic. Well, there's 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 like good, bad. Well, kind of yeah. Well, there's good. I know there's mm -hmm. good is one, right? Uh -huh. And chaotic uh, and um, Well, so you have you have their their general nature and then uh -huh. their ap approach to how they go about that nature. Oh, okay. So you have nature which was be chaotic well, or No, that's their approach oh, to good. It. Good. Uh, oh, so good is the nature, chaotic will be the approach. Yes. I see. All okay, right. So okay, so you, you, you follow okay, here. I am. I am. Okay. So there's. So, so would it be good, bad, neutral, or good and evil? I guess good yes. and evil. Good and evil. And then I know there's. I know there's more now. I can't think of it because I'm on the spot. <laughs> uh, what are the other ones? There's. See, when you say them, I'm gonna be like, oh crap, I knew that. Yeah, tell me. Okay, so you have good, neutral, and evil. Then you have. Lawful, unlawful, chaotic. Oh, okay, okay, so, yep, 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 yep. So uh, those will be the approaches. All right, so so you can have chaotic good. Yep. Lawful evil, which is a, uh, you know, then say chaotic neutral, okay? And they all have their own reasons why they can be difficult to play. Sure. In Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. The antagonists use Mordenkainen's arcane seal. Mordenkainen has over 21 spells attributed to him. Name another one. Mordenkainen's cure for farts. <laughs> More formally known as flatulence reduction. It is funny. One of, one I will of the... cast the flatulence reduction spell. <laughs> I, I have no idea. So there's there's a number of them. There is um, Mordenkainen's protection for uh, against lycanthropes. Okay. Which a lycanthrope is is a were creature. Werewolf. Yeah. So um, creature. Yep. Another one would be uh, Mordenkainen's uh, faithful hound, which would be it would be like uh, an alarm spell. So you know you're you're bedding down for the night. You cast oh, Mordenkainen's so like, like faithful a hound. Guard dog. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. That it keeps it, it will alert you. Uh, what is a beholder? And describe it. Oh, 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 I read about this. Where did I read about this? I think this was one of the quizzes that I was previewing. A beholder. That's the, oh. Now, this is kind of an homage to the original Dungeons & Dragons movie. Yeah, I think it's even, I think, doesn't beholder even get a, a 
mention in Honor Among Thieves. I think yes, it, it does, does at one point. It it's does. mentioned. Yes. Uh, but it's not actually in there. I don't remember the details. So a Beholder is a monster. And this is a monster that is generally described as being a sphere of eyeballs. Oh yes, and a and so of there's eyeballs. there's different there's different kinds of beholders. There's some that use psionics, which is one of the more popular ones. Psionics being mind, mind control. control. Yeah. Um, but they 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 do different. There's different kinds of beholders. Where did the legend of Mordenkainen originate? This is one I I'm pretty sure. That you wouldn't have been able to guess. No, I cannot guess it. So. In a very farty land. <laughs> <laughs> it was originally a campaign called the World of Greyhawk. Okay. So, Mordenkainen was uh, a very powerful wizard. In Dungeons and Dragons, what does the term Thacko mean? And I know you're probably not going to get this. Oh, oh, But there's oh, a bonus oh. to this, too. So. That's... Oh shoot! I read about this. I saw this too. I saw this too. It has to do with it has like the O at the end is like a zero. Yes. Because yes, it yes. doesn't. It means that oh, it has it has to. Does it have to do with how you roll, uh, or whether you have to roll a dice or something? It, what and what your role is. What your role is. Yeah. Um. Oh, I can't remember what it stands. It it's is an abbreviation. Yes, it is an right? abbreviation. It's, yes. It's like a, an anagram, not an anagram. But, you know, it's no... Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. It explain is it. throw to hit armor class zero. Ah. So it is the minimum amount you have to roll to actually be able to connect and do damage to someone whose armor class is zero. Okay. Okay? Okay. Now, bonus. Yes. What does the term fart mean? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is older editions of Dungeons uh -huh. & Dragons. Uh-huh. Think of what it a stands for... Fart, uh, it stands for fights are really tragic. <laughs> no, not really. No? It means find and remove traps. Oh, find and remove yes. traps. Oh, I yes. like that. Okay, all right, good. There are many mixed breeds in Dungeons & Dragons that a player can use. Can you name three of them? Mixed breeds? Yes. Um, and these are these are player uh, types? types, yes. Okay. Um, so breed would refer less to... That refers to things like elf, dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, elf, dwarf, human. Well, from the movie, there's the tiefling. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, give me some, give me some good examples. Okay, so there is half elf. Half elf. Half elf. Yeah. From like, is that from like a halfling? Uh, well, halfling is actually it's the term for a mixed breed. So if oh, you said halfling, okay. it would have encompassed all of it, and you would have automatically. By default, one. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Halfling. Whoa! Yes, go. I got it right. See, now I'll edit and, that. And I'm I'll sure edit that, that so it looks like I'm brilliant. Go ahead. I, I'm sure that there are <laughs> nerds that are going to argue incessantly with me, but you know what? I'm the dungeon master in this podcast. <laughs> I am God. It, it, my rules go. Now, this is lore. In the 1996 release of the Dead Alewives CD take down the Grand Master. What spell does Galstaff use, and what does he attack? He uses the spell of enlightenment to attack your mind. <laughs> he uses the speaking spell to attack your ability to spell. <laughs> good guess, good guess. 
He actually uses magic missiles, and he's attacking the darkness. Okay. If you have not heard the the whole Dead Alewives Watchtower Dungeons and Dragons, Satan's Game. Oh. It is hilarious. Okay. I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. Now, bonus question. Bonus question. Bonus question. Go ahead. Yes. What type of character did yours truly play for years before getting a life? <laughs> before getting a life or the... getting a wife? <laughs> Both. 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 <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> uh, so you could you could just right. go with uh, with class and alignment. Okay. Um, Think of me. Was it a barbarian? No. No. Was it a wizard? Mage. Yes. A mage. Yes. Okay. A mage. And alignment. alignment. Okay. Oh, alignment. What alignment would you? Uh, I'm thinking. Was he evil? No. No. Good. No. No. Neutral. 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 I'm kind of feeding you the answers here. Neutral. Chaotic. Yes. Chaotic <laughs> neutral mage. Incidentally, his name was Fred Quimby, and in game he spawned a child. And he had incredibly high charisma, so bond. Interesting, spawned interesting yes. verb choice there. Yes. Let's not explore that, shall no. we? No. <laughs> but he he actually has a couple spells of his own invention, um, which uh, this is a family friendly show, so I can't name it. <laughs> but the material spell components are one white kid leather glove. You you actually did remarkably well. On that quiz. <laughs> so, I got two right out of, out of like 20. I did remarkably well. <laughs> so, it is now time to spin the wheel of random episode selection. All right, Jared, do we have it ready? I have it ready. All right. We are once so. again spinning our Star Trek The Next Generation wheels because our next episode, we're going to return to Star Trek The Next Generation for a quintessential episode in which Jeremy and I decide what we think is the quintessential example from Star Trek The Next Generation. So let us begin with our season wheel. Looks like we've got season six. Season six. Woo! Woo! All right, next I will move to the episode wheel and we'll determine which episode from season six we're going to watch. Episode 26. 26. <laughs> every time, every time we we come to the fact that uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation had twenty six episodes per season, I think, man, where did those days go? Now, right? now you're lucky to get twenty one on regular network TV, and with and with streaming, it's, yeah. it's now twelve, thirteen, sometimes even just eight with some of our uh, nerdy <laughs> shows on Disney Plus and that kind of thing. So, a quick little look up uh, from our friends at IMDb determines that season six episode 26 is called the descent part one. Ooh, it's a it's a season finale cliffhanger dun 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 that will be our uh our episode 
for next episode. So if you would like to join us, then uh, you can find that episode either as an individual episode on uh, streaming purchase places like iTunes or uh, Amazon, or you can, if you have a subscription to Paramount Plus, the streaming service Paramount Plus has every episode of every Star Trek uh, for your viewing delight. as always we want to thank you for listening and please drop us a line at feedback at two guys in a franchise.com that's spell it, all spell it. Spill it. <laughs> spell it your turn spell it that is feedback do i need to spell feedback f-e-e-d-b-a-c-k at two guys in a franchise t-w-o-g-u-y-s-a-n-d-a F-R-A-N-C-H-I-S-E. Show off. Dot com. Or check us out at franchise. That's all spelled out. Dot com. Leave us a message. Drop us a little voice uh, message. Or check out some of the other episodes. Thank you. We hope you have a nerdy week.